Take your Bibles, if you will, and let's continue there in Matthew, the third chapter. Uh, we'll get to that uh, 11th verse in, in just a, a very few moments. You know, it's been interesting uh, what Derek and I have been able to do over the course of the last month, and that is to be preaching somebody else's sermon. <laughs> you know, that, that would sound like something that you're not supposed to do, but when that sermon is right out of the Word of God, then that's exactly what we need to do. We've been preaching somebody else's sermon. We've been preaching John's sermon, and uh, it's, an, it's incredible how the anointing of Holy Spirit continues to be on the words that he shared and, and the, the thoughts that were so inherently a part of what he was trying to communicate. His calling in life was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And one of the ways that he did that was to be the voice there crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. How do you prepare the way for the Lord? You've got to get your heart right. That's what he's saying. So what we have to do is we have to repent, turn away, go away from our sins, turn away from doing things our own way and doing things the way God wants us to. And as a, a symbol of that repentance, John had introduced this concept of baptism. And so he was baptizing people unto repentance. Now we're going to talk about that some more in just a few moments. But this was totally, totally new. Now the Jews understood about baptism, okay, but they used it in an entirely different way. If a Gentile, a non-Jew, wanted to become a Jew, then he was baptized symbolically because the old way of life has totally disappeared and he's been embraced in the covenant of the new people, Israel. John took that ceremony, but boy did he give it a very different meaning and such power that came along with it. As he was preaching this, he saw a group of Pharisees and Sadducees coming in the crowd. He knew in his heart and he knew by Holy Spirit whispering in his ear, these people are not here because they have repentant hearts. They're not here seeking to have a change in their lifestyle. They're seeking to find something wrong with what I'm doing. And so he just unloaded on them. Called them a brood of vipers, sons of snakes, spawn of Satan himself. And he said, now who has warns you to flee from the great wrath that is to come. Now, the text talks about that wrath. We talked about that some last week. We're going to talk about it some this week and some next week because verses 10, 11, and 12 expand on that. So he says, who have warned you? He said, I'm baptizing unto repentance. If you'll bring forth fruit, evidence that your heart's really changed, your attitudes and actions have changed, if I see that fruit, yeah, I'll baptize you too. But he knew that wasn't there. It wasn't there in their hearts. It wasn't there in their lives. Because they were prideful. They were prideful. We are the sons of Abraham. And we looked at what they meant by that. That, that they believed in their national heritage, their religious heritage, and their family heritage. And John was telling them, those are great things, they're incredible advantages, but they will not save your immortal soul. You're trusting in the very, very wrong things. And, and then he, he went on to say, and even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. He's talking about the judgment against Israel as a nation, as a religion, and also as that family heritage. And he said, the axe is laid there at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear forth good fruit will be cut down and will be cast into the fire. Now, that's the fire of judgment. And we looked at that just a little bit last week. That brings us up 
to the passage here for today. Where, Paul, where John continues to preach and he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, you put these words in John's mouth. And you gave them power. And they had incredible impact on those who heard. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do the same thing again. Do it this morning in our midst. And Father, may we know that this message spoken so many, many, many years ago is still as powerful and necessary today as it was back then. Help us, Lord, as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. Now again, Derek and I try to get you to do the same thing. We try to get you to ask questions of the text. Ask questions that come out of what it is that you're reading. So there's a few questions I want us to ask and allow Holy Spirit just to speak the answers into our heart. First of all, the first thought is this. John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism in response to repentance. Now, he had already come down with a severe word of judgment against the, the, the nation of Israel. But individuals could still hear the message, could still repent, could still have a change of heart, could still be baptized as an outward show of that change of heart. This could still happen to those who was individually he was preaching to. But he makes it very clear there are two baptisms here. So first, let's talk about this first one. And that was John's baptism. And John took the ceremony of baptism that the Jews had used and he gave it a brand new meaning. And here was the meaning. If you're genuinely broken because of sin in your life and you come to God confessing that sin, then here's the wonderful thing that God does. God brings forgiveness into your heart and change, transformation into your soul. And that is symbolized by being plunged under the water because there's a cleansing there. Now, the baptism didn't do the cleansing. The baptism didn't make him right. It was a symbol of a heart change that Holy Spirit had brought about. Now, this, this message had a tremendous impact on those who were listening. Many, many, many people had come and had their hearts broken because of their sin and they repented, they turned away, they turned around 180 degrees from the direction they were going and to symbolize that they were baptized. And we find evidence of this in other Christian literature as well as other historical documents of how many people were baptized into John's baptism. We're going to look at some of those in just a few moments. But John understood something. He understood that men and women were not saved because they were baptized by Him. The way we use the word especially today, those people that came to John, they were repentant, they were broken of heart, He baptized them. They were not saved the way we use that word. Brother Fred, how can you say that? How can you pronounce that kind of a judgment? Because the gospel had not been accomplished yet. Salvation comes because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and us accepting that as punishment in full for our sins and being raised into a new way of life. That hadn't happened yet. So John's baptism, as powerful as it was, and, and, and potent and precious as it was, was incomplete, was partial. It wasn't the whole story because the gospel had not been accomplished yet. It was preparatory. It was to get men and women, boys and girls, ready to receive the Messiah who was coming and to understand the gospel when it was lived out, died, resurrected, and then preached in power. It was preparation. Now let me tell you something. As many people were coming to hear John, and as many people as were responding to the invitation, as many people as, as were, were coming and saying, yes, John, boy, whoa, whew, man, right on, you're, you're, you hit me right between the eyes with that. John knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. He knew he was the preparer of hearts. He knew the Messiah was yet to come, and he's the one that would bring genuine transformation into lives. And God needed a hum, a, an humble man, a man who understood who he was in all humility, to not think he was the best thing that had ever happened, but to understand that he was preparing the way and pointing to someone else. And he entrusted that to John. So the second thought that emerges out of this is true repentance requires and produces humility. True repentance produces humility. John, in his humility, could preach the message. And then he could call on men and women who were in the crowd, if you genuinely are broken over your sin, and you genuinely want to change and have a different way of life, then come on down here and I will baptize you symbolically into this cleansing that you already have in your heart and in your lives. John was a great example of humility. And he even makes it clear in this verse. He says, the one that is coming after me is mightier than I am. And I am not worthy to carry his sandals. Some translations would say, untie or unbuckle his sandals. People in Jesus' day understood what he meant by that. We don't. You see, when, somebody, when you invited somebody to come to your home, have supper, whatever, then, then as they came in the door, it was, it was accepted practice for uh, a slave to remove their shoes and to bathe the dust off their feet. And then thus refreshed, they would come on in your house and you would have your meal and you would have your fellowship time together. But that was considered so yuck that not even a Jewish slave was asked to do that. It was only Gentile slaves, servants, that were asked to do this. Because this was the most menial, lowly task imaginable. Now, now hold that thought for a minute and fast forward with me to the night before Jesus was betrayed and arrested. He's got his disciples together in the upper room. They've already gone to the baths to, be, to, to actually take a bath and get cleansed. But now they've made the trek to the upper room. And they come into the upper room, and there's a basin, and there's water, and there's a towel, and everyone walks right by. 
Everyone walks right on by, takes their place around the table. There, there's no slave, there's no Gentile slave there to wash their feet. They all get settled in. What does Jesus do? Jesus gets up and He, he disrobes. He goes over to the basin and He wraps a towel around Himself and He picks up the basin and He goes from man to man to man in that crowd washing the feet of His disciples. Taking a role. Doing something so incredibly low. Peter couldn't stand it. And in essence, he was saying, don't you know who you are? You'll never wash my feet. You're the Christ. Who are you to be washing feet? You remember what Jesus said? If I don't wash your feet, Simon, then you have no part with me. You don't know my heart. You don't know who I am. <laughs> and Peter, being kind of like me, <laughs> he said, well, not my feet only, then Lord, have at me. Get it head and everything. Come on down. I want everything that there is about you. But what did Jesus do? He took the role of the lowest, lowest, lowest servant. Now, this is years after John did this. After John's died. But what was John saying? John is saying, I am such a worm. <laughs> they take that out of our hymnal, how haven't they? Uh, I, I am such a worm. I, I'm not worthy to take the Lord Jesus Christ's sandal off and carry it. I, I'm lower than the lowest servant. See, he understood who he was. Listen, God can trust you to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know it's not about you, it's about Him. And if He can trust you to share about Him and not all about you. That's the key. But because John was such an humble person, he, couldn't, he would not step back for a moment. He would not hesitate for a heartbeat to call on people to do what required humility. You see, to step off of that riverbank and to step forward and confess, I am a sinner, and I confess that, and I, I need to repent. I need a change of attitude and a change of heart, and God is doing that in my heart. John, will you baptize me? That takes a lot of humility. More than a lot of people here today have. More than a lot of people you at home have. Because for us to admit we've done anything wrong, for us to admit that we need any kind of change of attitude or heart, flies in the face of our pride. What would people think if I came to the altar and poured out my heart before God? What would people think if I came and admitted that I am a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness and baptism, what would people think? Can I clue you into something? Let me tell you what the people here at First Baptist would think. Let me let you get right into their brain. 
let, let me let you get right into their heart and soul. Let me tell you what they think. They'd say, hallelujah, <laughs> praise the Lord that God is working in the lives of the people who come here. That's what they think. Not a judgmental thought in the crowd because we've all been there. And we know the humility it takes to step forth and say, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And let me just tell you right now, whether you're at home or whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary, you're among friends here, folks. We understand what it is to be in need of a Savior. We understand what it means to humbly seek repentance and forgiveness. Humility is required in baptism. It is today as much as it is at any other time. You see, the people in the crowd, they had to take off their outer garments. They had to walk out into the water with John. The soldiers had to lay down their shield and their, and their spear and their sword and walk out into the water with John. And the Pharisees and Sadducees in the crowd had to remove their phylacteries and, and, and take off all of those garments of all of their pride and step out humbly in the waters to be baptized just like you and I do today. Baptism calls for humility. And it still does today. So John, John leads the way. John leads the way. But then the, the, the third thought I want you to see here is how Jesus' baptism is different. He said, now I baptize you unto repentance. But Jesus' baptism is a response to salvation. You see, after Jesus lived his life, and after he was crucified, for my sins and yours, and after He rose again, so that you and I could have eternal life. The Gospel was completed. And the possibility of forgiveness for sins, and being cleansed of all of our unrighteousness, had been accomplished. And then baptism could take on the fullest meaning that, it's, that it has even today. John knew that his baptism just, just had a, a little picture of what was involved. But after the Messiah, the baptism he would offer would symbolize something entirely different. Something so much more. Once he had accomplished his substitutionary atonement for my sins and yours, and rose again to secure our eternal life, then you and I could be saved. And baptism could be our means of identifying with him in that. Look, even people in Bible days understood a difference between John's baptism and the baptism after the death and resurrection of Christ. Can you see that real quick? Let me, let me look at Acts chapter 18 for just a moment. Acts 18, 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus... And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of God, though he knew only the baptism of John. You see that? So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now it doesn't say specifically that he was baptized again, that's implied. But I want you to jump with me over to the 19th chapter of Acts. 
And in verse 1 it says, And it happened when Apollos, same dude, Apollos was over at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding disciples there, Paul said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And look what they said to him. They, they said, We have not so much as even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism to repentance. Saying to the people that they should believe on Him who would come after Him, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Look, John the Baptist's baptism was honored. It was important, but it was only partial. And even he was looking that there was going to be a greater baptism one day. To be baptized into Christ. To be baptized into the church. Can I say something here? i got to pause and chase me a rabbit. Please forgive me, but i got to do this. Churches in America today have all kinds of different expressions of baptism and all kinds of different meanings to baptism. I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says about this and understand that your church takes the most sound biblical view that we can possibly interpret about what this means. The meaning of baptism and the mode or method of baptism are so very important. Let's look at those for just a minute. First of all, the, the meaning of baptism. Baptism does not have any saving power. I want to say that again because I want it to resonate between your eyeballs. Baptism itself has no saving power. It's symbolic of the power to save. But just by itself, it is empty of any power whatsoever. And anybody and anywhere who believes that baptism saves you is deceived, and I'll tell them and show them in the Scriptures why that's true. That is Scripture. Baptism symbolizes the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our identification with Him. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's the meaning of baptism. It means that I have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. He has cleansed me. And as a symbol of that, that I identify with the death of Christ, I'm buried into the water. And as a symbol that I believe in the resurrection of Christ, I'm brought up out of the water to walk in newness of life. The, the word for baptism itself, batizo, means to plunge under the liquid. In this case, water. To totally immerse. The word itself tells you what it, it means. 
And everywhere you see baptism in your New Testament, everywhere you see baptism in your New Testament, people are being plunged under the water to identify with Jesus Christ's death, raised up out of the water to identify with His resurrection, and then walk in newness of life. That's the meaning, and it points to the method. The method is not sprinkling a little water on a noggin. It's not pouring water. It's being plunged under the water. No other method is the New Testament method of baptism. Now, now, let me make this intensely personal for just a moment. Valeria and I both got caught, if you please, in our church's not understanding believers' baptism in the way it should. Mine was a non-Baptist church, very evangelistic, but they practiced infant baptism. So when you're a little bitty baby or a child, you're brought by your parents, in my case it was the grandparents, had a little water sprinkled on your head, and you were pronounced, baptized, pronounced saved. Okay? Years later, years later, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was saved. I, I was saved. Jesus came into my heart, cleansed me. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And my pastor said, well, you need to be baptized. I said, whatever's fine with me. You tell me. And so... What happened, I went home and I told my grandparents what had happened to me and they were real thrilled about that. And I mentioned baptism. They said, oh, no, 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 no. Grandmother went and dug around in the, in the uh, cedar chest, came out with a little card about like this, about when I was baptized as a child, gave it to me. I took it to the pastor and the pastor said, that's fine. You've been baptized. That was fine for a while, but then I made the mistake of starting reading my Bible. And I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible about a person being baptized as a child and later saved. And that's what happened to me. I, I couldn't find anywhere that baptism was sprinkling some water on the head. It was always being plunged into the water. And so I went to my pastor and I said, Brother Floyd, all the things you preach, you preach about, we ought, ought to do what the Bible says. Why do we not practice what the Bible says in relation to to baptism. And he said, son, that's our tradition. I said, okay. But it's not what the Bible says. I know. But that's our tradition. And from that day, I started looking for a church whose tradition would match what the Bible said. And I found it in a Southern Baptist church. It was two years after I had been saved that I came forward and I told the pastor, I was a cocky little thing, about as bad then as I am now. I said, I'm not in this now getting saved. I want you to know that. <laughs> but I need to be baptized obediently and biblically. And he did that. Now, Valeria was a little different. She grew up in this church, wonderful church, with a tremendous mama, that paraded them four kids to church, no matter what the weather was or whatever, they were in church. And I think she was about eight years old, and her mama reached over and tapped her about the invitation and said, don't you think it's about time you went forward? She said, uh-huh. And so she went, she went forward. She didn't understand anything that was going on. 
they showed a picture of John baptizing Jesus and asked which one was Jesus, and she got it wrong. But she was plunged under the water. But she wasn't saved. Years later, we met. Not that that had anything to do with it. But she went away to a Bible camp one summer, and she heard the gospel explained in a way that she embraced it in her heart. And Jesus flooded her life and restored her and renewed her and saved her. And she came back and, and told that very same pastor what had happened to her. And he said, oh no girl, you just rededicated your life. Okay, the pastor said it, so that must be right. So fast forward, we date, we get married. Uh, I'm in my second church. We got two little boys and she's carrying one in her tummy. And I come home from work one day, she's sitting out in the porch swing just a squalling, just a crying. I'm wondering, okay, which one of these kids do I need to beat to death? You know? And she said, no, it's not them. It's me. I said, what do you mean it's you? And through tears she said, I've not been scripturally baptized. I, didn't, I was baptized as an eight-year-old, but I didn't get saved until I was 16. And now all these years, I've watched people come forward and profess their faith in Christ and be baptized. And I have... I have ached that I had that robbed from me. And I said, sweetheart, that's no problem. I can baptize you. She said, no, I'm the preacher's wife. You can't do that. But we did. One of the highlights of my life is baptizing my wife. And I want to know, want you to know, that hit like a sledgehammer in the life of our church. Because other people out there had been robbed of the same joy that my wife had had. And for both of us, when we humbled ourselves and followed the Lord in believers' baptism, there was a skyrocket spiritually in our lives. Because obedience, God can bless obedience. But don't ask Him to bless disobedience. He can't do that. Folks, I want you to hear even from John saying there is a way to do baptism right. And it's the way Jesus says to do baptism. Come to faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Accept His death and resurrection as punishment in full for your sins. And as a picture of that, as a symbol of that, follow Him in baptism. Follow Him. He did this. He didn't do anything He didn't ask us to do. Follow Him in humble baptism where it symbolizes you being plunged into death with Jesus Christ, dying to an old way of life and being brought back up to the waters to walk in new life. That's New Testament baptism. Today, some of you need to profess your faith in Christ. You've never come to that point that you've humbled yourself. And you said, I, I confess, I'm a sinner. I, I'm broken in my heart for the rebellion that I've had against God. But with all that is within me, I want to turn around to be followers of Jesus Christ. I want Him to come into my heart and cleanse me and be the boss and the king and the ruler in my life. And after you, you need to do that. That's the, that's the step. Folks, that's what, that's what saves you, not baptism. But you need to make that decision today.
And we're going to have folks right here ready at the altar to help you if you need help to do that. Some of you have done that, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And maybe today, Holy Spirit Spirit's speaking to your heart and saying it's time for you to make that right. Or maybe like Valeria and I, that's happened to you, but it was all out of order and out of whack and for the wrong meanings. Okay? Maybe you were baptized as an infant like I was, and you figured that's all it takes, and that saved me, and I don't need to do anything else. Wrong. According to the Bible. Okay? Maybe it's time to set this right. You want revival to happen in your heart? Humility and repentance. And then obey the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father God, it's time for us to do business with you. And it's all about you and not about us. Lord, right now, if there's anybody here that does not know you as their absolute Savior and Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask you humbly in Jesus' name that you would pierce that heart and draw them to yourself. If there's anyone here who's accepted you as Lord and Savior but never followed you in obedience and baptism, I pray, Lord, that you would just overwhelm them with your Holy Spirit and speak to them about obedience and about humility. Father, if there's anyone that's got it all out of order or all out of meaning and you're calling them to set it straight, Lord, will you give them a touch on their heart and say, now's the time to make this right. Lord, this is your time. This is your sermon. You gave it to John. I've just tried to pass on what it means. I ask your blessings in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You stand.